feel the same. When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. I'm about the past, I'm about the future. Welcome back to Drive Us. My name is Walter, and today is tonight. Now it's part two, right? Part two to the Marcus Harvey episode. Hi, Marcus Harvey. He's such a nice guy. And yes, we're bringing him on again. Uh, we we just ran really long with the first episode, so I'm like, you know what, Marcus? Come, we'll split this in two. We'll talk Browns exclusively between us brownies, and then oh, and then uh, we'll give people what they really came for—the wide receiver talk. Yes, the NFL draft is coming up just a couple of weeks away, and uh, so we decided to talk about our favorite wide receivers. So now let's bring them on. You can follow them at Marcus Harvey underscore. And yes, today we talk wide receivers. All right, so. Since we're talking about first-round wide receivers, uh, let's just break it down. All right, top, who is your number one? Our, even though we kind of, I think we hinted at this. Maybe we hinted at it before the recording. I don't remember anymore. Um, but yeah, so let's break down the. How many round one receivers do you have, or true round one, like the the real first round grade? Yeah, so I have four. Four. Um, I, I know some people have five, up, up to six even. Um, but for me, it's that top four. It's Jalen Waddle, Rashad Bateman. Uh, Devonta Smith and Jamar Chase in that order in, in my preference. Oh, um, so yeah, I, I know it's a not not for everybody, but just outside of that tier, and I mean very 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 close to that is Elijah Moore, just sitting a little bit outside of that. Um, Terrence Marshall, I think very highly of him, and Diami uh, Brown out of uh, North Carolina, both offer very different skill sets. Marshall being the youngest of that crew, um, and is a terrific player in his own right. I think if he had another Joe Burrow, uh, that production would be through the roof and he would be talked about with those top four guys, but a little bit harder to project without that production. See, actually, yeah, let's start, let's start with your tier two here. Cause that's actually where there's a lot of meat and chunks. And then we'll get into the whole, like, Oh, Jamar chase is the fourth wide receiver. This is not one yeah. I've heard before. Um, but I actually don't like, I don't hate it. That's actually kind of a, like a, a nice, I, I, it's a little bit of a refresher when people kind of go like, and listen, being the fourth overall receiver in this draft class is not bad. It's you're still a first round receiver, but um, let's let's talk a little bit about Elijah Moore because I liked him. Like he popped off on tape to me so much. You're watching like uh, JC Horn film, and here's Elijah Moore just blowing up the game. And you're like, uh, dude, who's this little dude who's just like running out of the backfield and catching stuff out the slot and just breaking shit away? So Elijah yeah. Moore. Um, Terrence Marshall's one of those guys who had way better, you know, we were saying before 2019 tape than 2020 tape. Uh, they tried putting him in the slot a little bit more, I guess, because they didn't have a Joe Burrow anymore in 2020. And it did not, he did not really fit well in that slot position. Maybe like, maybe if he goes to a different offense and he knows he has a real quarterback, I know he opted out before the Alabama game. I know there was a little bit of questions about that. People wanted to see him go against them, but it, I kind of agree with what you're saying is like, you didn't have Joe Burrow anymore. And I made the mistake last year with um like I, I saw Justin Jefferson as a first round guy, but I made the mistake of maybe having him ranked lower one or two spots lower because a we didn't see him do this like we saw him do a little bit of stuff outside the slot, but he was so productive in the slot. And then not only that, yeah. you had all these other great pieces around him. It made you question like, oh, maybe it's the other pieces helping him be so great. Not just like these individual traits, which listen, he was great at high pointing the ball. He was great at getting open from the slot. And then, and you just didn't get to see him do much of the stuff on the outside because they had Terrence Marshall and they had Jamar Chase. 
I'm trying not to make that mistake this year with Terrence Marshall because just because now everybody because this is like one of the things that people are saying now is like oh well Terrence Marshall had now Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase there and he was getting thrown to by Joe Burrow and it's like well I made that mistake last year fool me once shame on me fool me twice shame on me again um not gonna happen this year and I like I said I went back and watched Terrence Marshall and again a very good downfield guy um it's the funny thing is, is if you only watch the 2020 tape and then you went ahead and saw his his pro day times, you would have been like, whoa, like this doesn't look like the guy who I saw on tape. And then you go ahead and watch 2019 and you're like, oh, this is a guy. It kind of does look like the guy I saw on tape. So maybe he does match the traits a little bit. Yeah. And I, I definitely w- would agree with that statement. Uh, for me, I started off studying his 2020 uh, tape and I turned away and I wasn't, wasn't really all about it. Um, didn't, didn't like a lot what I saw. Didn't see the speed that he, you know, tested, didn't see the, the jumps that he posted on, on his film. Um, but then I turned on the 2019 game, even the national championship and whatnot, and working on the same field as Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson just reminded me that Joe Burrow was doing some very special things uh, with those three weapons at his disposal. Um, so I just hope that he gets a, a great fit where um, somebody is able to push down the ball down the field and he's able to not just be a slot limited player, can play outside different places um, where he can truly flourish. Uh, one of my favorite spots, uh, not as a Browns fan, but as a football fan is uh, having him go to Baltimore. I think that's one of the situations where he can be most successful. Lamar Jackson um, and the r- offense that they run with Greg Roman is deeply predicated on deep passes and um, making sure that the defense is respecting that ability for the wide receiver to go over the top and um, threaten the defense down the field so that they can get favorable uh, numbers in the running game. Largely, that was one of the reasons they selected um, Marquise Hollywood Brown in round one a couple years ago and have tried to force him into that role where as a, you know, his physical profile and athletic ability isn't best meant for that true number one ability. If you add uh, Terrence Marshall at his size of six foot four on the outside and Marquise Brown in the middle as a slot player, that offense takes a a new step to, you know, where Lamar Jackson before through five, 5,000 or not for that many yards, but 50 touchdowns in, in his MVP year. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there with uh, Terrence Marshall, especially you're putting him up at split end because you can't have Hollywood Brown playing playing the like the X role in in an offense, which you, like having him try to line up, and again like him being the main focus, he had a lot of drops this year. Maybe if he's not the main focus, but he's like kind of an additional option, he's taking the top off of everything. Now you have a guy like you're saying Terrence Marshall to be able to line up at the line of scrimmage. You know he could beat press coverage because he's done it before. And again, yeah, sometimes he didn't always get the best cornerback back when he was playing with Jamar Chase because, you know, you're playing with Jamar Chase and Jamar Chase is bullying people and just it's like, I'm going to take your lunch money and go, dude. And that was just how Jamar Chase played. And then also, like, I I definitely see what you're saying. I, I think to me, I think I probably would win Titans as well uh, to free up A.J. Brown. They lost Corey Davis. Uh, they run a lot of those, again, deep play action routes. So Both are, again, both are excellent fits. Um, I think he would be very excited to be on either team. Uh, he'd be an immediate contributor, um, be able to not have to carry the full burden by himself when situated in the offense. I think he would be the number one in Baltimore um, just by his physical profile and, and the expectations of an ex receiver in Baltimore. But 
that I, I like that AJ Brown pick it as well. I think for the Browns and Rashad Bateman, that's the biggest threat for them. Um, if, if they want to do that, but for me, the Titans have a big gaping hole at right tackle Kendall lamb who caught a touchdown pass against them this past season uh, should, I, I wish him the best and he filled in well for us when we needed him, especially on those goal line trick plays, but uh right tackle after the Isaiah Wilson situation is, is still a big need of theirs. So I think they got to figure something out there first. Yeah. You know, the Isaiah Wilson thing, trading him, then he gets released by Miami and then Dennis Kelly, they cut, who was a, they just signed him to an extension last year. And then they're like, yeah, bye Dennis Kelly. Even though we extended you last year, we're going to get rid of you. They, they cleared out all, they, they just reformatted their roster. They're just like, we're rebooting this hard drive. We didn't like what we saw. So I, I kind of agree with you there. I do think tackle's going to be on the board for them at uh, – they pick like 20 they, – I think they pick 18 or 19. In that in that weird range right at a, a few spots ahead of the Browns. Um, I I still think wide receiver's still in play. I think because Kendall Lamb actually I think is maybe a little bit underrated. I think he was actually better than Hubbard a lot of times at tackle um, as the swing tackle role. Now, I'm kind of thinking back to the year prior when – uh, when Freddie Kitchens was the uh, the head coach, and there was that one game where they played the Steelers, and Hubbard was out, and they had to play Kendall Lamb, and Kendall Lamb played better at right tackle than Hubbard did the whole season, and then they had Greg Robinson, and that was the best game. That was uh, the game that Baker Mayfield had, like, three touchdowns against the Steelers, and, and, and then, like, a year later, not, not the best time ever, but, like, my point was is, listen, we have to get Greg Robinson and Kendall Lamb back at some point. I'm kidding, of course. Um, But, like, he showed that he can at least do – I think he's much better as a pass protector than he's a run blocker. So, given that run blocking is kind of a big thing in in Tennessee, especially when you have Derrick Henry and they've kind of changed up uh, that offensive line quite a bit. They no longer have Conklin because, thankfully, you know, the Browns signed him. Um, One of – Thank you, Andrew Berry, for that one. Thank you. That, that's one he should get an award for. Because that was like, I did not think that was going to happen. And then he made this amazing deal. That's like a three-year, almost kind of fully guaranteed tackle deal. And it's like, oh, this is good. This is like, this is thinking outside the box. Like, listen, you're going to get all your money on this deal. It's a three-year deal so you could hit free agency again as a young offensive tackle. And then not only that, but we can extend you and, and because we're going to go ahead and add void years on it. I mean, that was some magic. That was brilliant on part of Andrew Barry. I loved that move. Um, so yeah, uh, what was the other wide receiver we had? We we're going to talk about at this spot. We had uh, Marshall Elijah Moore, who dude, that guy's just electric. That guy, I love watching him. He's like one of those guys where it's like he pops on the. Like I said, you watch other teams, you're watching other players, and he pops on. And you're like, yeah. And he's a guy who I, I kind of like for the Browns if they trade back, if he falls a little bit in the second round, because he has that electric ability. Now, the one worry I have with Elijah Moore, he didn't really line up on the outside. And that's kind of the red flag kind of issue with him. He's kind of – he's small. He's 5'9". He had a great pro day, ran a lot of – had a lot of good measurables on, on, the, on the pro day. Um, but again, he's 5'9", really never lined up on the outside. He can be this electric freak player for them. And we've seen him make plays somewhat downfield, um, but really not as often deep downfield. Like, we're not talking about 70 yards. We're talking about, like, in the 15 to 20-yard range, which is a lot, a lot of the meat comes on these plays anyway. Yeah, and again, for the Browns, you still currently have Odell Beckham. You still currently have Jarvis Landry, although I guess... 
I don't know if you want to touch on that conversation at some point because I know that's a that's a big debate amongst Browns Browns fans and then people who cover the Browns. I think that's kind of an interesting, um, almost kind of civil war that kind of is going on at this point. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, which side do you take? And it's like, ah, this could be way better handled. <laughs> um, so it was uh, for the for the tier two guys you had. It was uh, more Marshall. Who's the third? Diami Brown. Diami. Diami's fun too. Good deep yeah. guy. Yeah, um, so, so where you were talking a little bit about Elijah Moore winning that 15 to 20 yard range, Diami Brown averaged uh, over 25 yards um, per reception in college, which is just not something you usually see. And I think that is a credit to Sam Howell a little bit and the offense that they were running there. But um, to have him in Cleveland uh, w- would be a great situation. I think for any offense that gets Diami Brown, um, it's an outside profile wide receiver largely lined up only on the left side in college. I don't, don't believe that to be his limitation. I think that was an offensive scheme uh, limitation, but he's running right past cornerbacks, um, getting building speed and and winning downfield. Uh, My biggest concern with him is contested catches. So in the Mm -hmm. NFL where people are faster a little bit, um, and get up closer to you as a receiver, how are you able to handle and fight through that contact? Yeah. He he also ran, he also ran kind of a limited route tree. Uh, and like you said, he lined up on one side, which is a very common thing in college, but you don't want it being the, um, there was a Vikings wide receiver not too long ago who went in the first round and he only lined up on one side of the field. And then we found out a, few, like, a couple years later that the reason why he lined up on one side of the field was because that's where all the coaches were and they had to tell him what play they were running and how to run it. And you don't want it to be that issue. So that yeah. was that was an issue for uh, – it was – what's his name? Laquan Treadwell. Yeah, I, I hadn't ever heard about that before. So always something good, uh, learning something new every day, like I said at the beginning of the show. Uh, but for me, I think um, – Wherever, wherever he gets situated uh, will bring dynamite to an offense and ability to go over the top. Um, really impressive as a run blocker, too. I noticed uh, very consistent and make meaningful blocks out on the edge. One of the reasons why Michael Carter and Javante Williams were able to have so much success running the ball is because when they got to the outside left side, Diami Brown usually had that DB or the safety uh, well-controlled so that they could just continue on their way. So let's bounce back to the your, your top four, right? Because, you know, it sounded like there was some controversy in the top four, right? So let's start with number one overall. I think he's actually number one on both our boards. So yeah. that's the good thing. It's not much controversy. And I think there's other people who have the same sentiment. Jalen Waddle. Dear yeah. God, that guy is electric. Yeah. De- bless, bless him. Um, I hope his oh. ankle recovers because to, to have the pleasure of, of watching him is one of the best things a football fan can wish for. He's just moving in in, in double speed where everybody else is is not. Um, And so, you know, with the offensive system that he had and the weapons that surrounded him, he was really able to flourish. But uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but if you look at his uh, average reception, uh, like average yards per reception and frequency at which he was scoring touchdowns, like per every 17 – uh, receptions or something crazy like that. It, it, it just boggles my mind that um, 
he wouldn't be wide receiver one for more people. Um, that's not a discredit to the rest of the three on the board. I think they're all extremely talented players. Um, and it just comes down to, to which flavor you prefer. But when I watch Jalen Waddle and his ability to not only run past people, but elevate over people to catch contested balls, to run uh, bubbles, slants, screens, posts, deep routes, uh, I cannot see anything else other, other than Tyreek Hill. Um, the player, not to compare them uh, the player-wise, but play style and how they play on the field, um, that's where I draw my comparisons from. There's very few guys with the same lateral agility and vertical agility, like vertical speed and lateral agility as Jalen Waddle. It just doesn't usually come along very often. Like, he's got the oily hips to just kind of move back and forth, and you're like, uh, he just went that way and that way, and he did not turn any direction. Like, he just yeah, moves I, I think like a ghost. That- uh, if you're if you're trying to watch Jalen Waddle and understand a little bit more about him, just watch him on some kick returns. I know that's where he hurt his ankle, but uh, a little bit of that side to side fluidity. Um, there's a couple punt returns against LSU in 2019, and then in 2020 where he's just running laps around people. Uh, you know, even running backwards to pick up speed to move forwards. And against LSU, where they had special teamers like Tracy McRath, who um, went to the senior bowl and ran a four, three, eight at their pro day, you know, he's, he's, he's running past them all. And that to me just, just boggles my mind. Um, I, I wish nothing but success for him in the NFL and a, a full and happy recovery. But for me, if he got to play with uh, Justin Herbert in, in a chargers uniform for Los Angeles, that is by far my biggest wish as a football fan for this entire mock draft season, other than getting Penny Sewell or Rashawn Slater for Joe Burr. But to give Justin Herbert the weapons of Keenan, Keenan Allen, uh, Mike Williams, Jalen Waddle, and then have them play Kansas City twice a year, that's that's a money game. That will be must-watch TV. So I do a midnight mock draft every Monday. So I'll probably when I get done with this at some point, I'll probably go ahead and record that. And I do that as a live stream. I had Jalen Waddle in one of those drafts go at 13 to the Chargers because like the way some boards can fall – and how teams will value some of these things because you're trying to project how some of these teams might value the ankle, he could easily fall to 13 to the Chargers, and that would be the perfect pick for them because Keenan Allen's get a little bit older. You would now get a young guy who kind of like has that, like, yo, he can just just be a whole different kind of player for them. Um, even if you think they do need offensive line, which, by the way, yes, the Chargers need an offensive line. They don't draft it in the first round, like, I think, ever. Like, I can't remember the last time the Chargers decided that, oh, yes, offensive line, let's do that now. Um, so, again, I yes, I like Jalen Waddle a lot. Uh, we could spend 20,000 hours talking about Jalen Waddle because he's just fun. He's fun to watch. He's got that electric – like, when I was saying Elijah Moore was kind of, like, electric and fun, he's, like – he's got a different level of electricity to him. Like, it's like – say, like, like he's, like, regular wattage, and this guy's, like, super, super turbocharged wattage. So – Yes, I, I agree with it. I don't know how teams are going to feel about the ankle, especially not seeing him at the pro day, like not getting any more like visual on him to see if the, the ankle – I think the real question is with the ankle inhibiting his ability to, to move and kind of like, oh, like has this affected your mobility? So – but then again, for, we saw, we saw if, Hollywood – If NFL teams want to let him fall to 26, I, I, I won't mind one bit at all. Please, um, yes. I, I've been I've been tweeting a little bit about let's just make that the energy and, and create that conversation before it actually happens. But yeah, uh, all down for I was that, that would be lovely. But 
I think half of that at 13 is, is a much more realistic situation if, if that ankle does arise. But I, I will not fault any team for taking, for taking him and the player that they saw since he was a true freshman. So let's go to the other guys on this list. Um, your number two is Rashad Bateman. I, I think he's a lot of times in the – I think he's usually the fourth guy on this list for a lot of people. Yeah. I like Rashad Bateman. He's one of those guys, like we were saying before, had that weird kind of like 2020 did not work well for him. Now, he actually had caught COVID, I think, either before the season or right during the season. I can't remember. But he, he actually was dealing with the effects of COVID. He was playing like 10 pounds lighter. He was running a lot more out of the slot because there's – I don't think they could run much better. I think because the, the quarterback there was not all that great. In yeah. So it was the same quarterback that they had the year before, but for whatever, whatever reason or the situation with, with COVID and the shortened off season and the, how the big 10 handled it all uh, Tanner, Tanner Morgan played significantly not as well as he did the year before. Um, and that came to a downfall for both uh, Bateman and Chris Ottman bell, his teammate uh, at Minnesota. For me, like when I watched Bateman, um, I try to think of about a situation where he was in an offense similar to Jamar Chase with Justin Jefferson and Terrence Marshall and trying to envision that player um, and what he could look like. Because I think for Jamar Chase, I, I, I love the player. He's physical. Um, but with that comes a little bit of concern for me, how that handles in the NFL. Bateman, I think, does a much better job separating on routes, um, getting out of breaks, um, catching both of them are excellent at the catch point. But uh, for me, Bateman is, is is just a little bit more of my flavor. But on my grading scale, they both are separated by half a point. And in between them is Devonta Smith. So the the real gap for me is is Waddle and then the rest. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think because Waddle just has that different level of athleticism. And like you were saying with Tyreek Hill, I, I think the, the comp there is right, though, with the aspect of the difference in the athleticism of Tyreek Hill to everybody else, that's kind of what Jalen Waddle is compared to the rest of this class. It's just like a different level of movement ability. Well, Rashawn Bateman, I, I kind of also, like we mentioned, you mentioned before, it was kind of a shock that he came in not as tall as maybe some people thought, but he plays big. Um, I'm just looking over at, because I, had, I watched the Michigan game, the Auburn game. I'm seeing if there was something in here that I really liked that uh, to throw in as this. Um, he, I, I just see this from the Auburn game. He showed a sick release on the outside that throws the DB off. It's like five minutes into the first quarter. And then the next play, the the, the pass uh, gets thrown behind the line of scrimmage, takes it 30 or 40 yards. He had some great run after the catch. Like, that was something that was, that was a very big thing for him, was just like – and even still when he was running out of the slot, and I think people this year – saw his run after the catch this year, and they were like, oh, he, he's not that good at this. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, he's dealing with, like, health issues coming back from COVID. He's not really playing in the spot that really he'd probably be best at and probably is more valuable at. When he was playing at, at split end, when he was playing on the outside, uh, even when they, you know, you move him around, getting him the ball in his hands in 2019 – was so dangerous that like he would take a ball 30, 40 yards almost to the house. And compared to this year, he was still getting yardage from these, from being in the slot. They just had to put him there because like you said, I, they couldn't game plan as much. They, you know, whatever they were doing as far as the offense went, they said, you know what? You're not feeling well. We think this is best for you. We're going to run you out of the slot. Um, Jamar chase. 
or Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith? Which one do you want to talk about first? We'll do Chase. Chase. Because, like, Chase is a is a dude who plays big. He's not as big as people think. Like, he, he's, not, he's he's bulkier. He's, like, he's a dense dude. But he, um, he's brutal. He's physical. He's, like, oh, yeah. I, and he was definitely, like, listen, when I talk about, like, chain mover, like, guys who were were movers of the offense, right? Guys who were, like, the bus driver. Like, Joe Burrow and Clyde over Alaire and Jamar Chase in 2019 were the drivers of that offense. And Jamar Chase just did things that were really good. Like, he, I, I appreciated the game of Jamar Chase. Um, he could pretty much line up anywhere you want him to on the line of scrimmage. Uh, like I said... I think he's going to be brutalizing guys and using that physicality to his advantage. Now, granted, NFL, you're going to deal with a lot of physical guys, too. But he's also doing it in the SEC in 2019, so not a COVID year, not a year where you're like, oh, well, you know, it's it's COVID year and it's not the best year ever. Uh, this is a year where it's like listen, 2019 SEC competition, and they all knew to key in on Jamar Chase, and he was just like, I'm going to – he yeah. he showed great footwork. Uh, contested catch ability, uh, I uh, the ability to just get separation. And I, I do think his testing times I was a little bit more shocked by. I thought he was more like in the 4-4s, four maybe even. like I wouldn't have been shocked if he came in at 4-5s, but it wasn't like he was slow, and he was still running by guys every once in a while. He just wasn't – his key trait is not, I'm going to beat you deep like this. He did it, like, but it, I, he did it a lot of the time by using, like, A, really good route running. Like, his feet's really good. And he would, he, he, like, again, he would go ahead and, uh, you know, throw in a jab step here and, and or stutter, like, kind of get people to think he's taking a hitch and then go. And his just ability to, again, he was just brutal to try to cover for a lot of DBs. Even if he was in double coverage, this guy was just, I, I, again, I, I, he, I think he's a guy who could be moved anywhere you want. Now, the big question is, is he still that guy after a year of not playing football? Uh, is he still that guy, you know, it – was he just spending his whole time getting ready to, you know, do athletic testing because, you know, he knew since September he opted out and he's like, you know what, I'm gonna go run, I'm gonna go run 40s every day until I test super well. Maybe this will show up better than my game tape does. So yeah, and and I I think Jamar Chase will come into the NFL and be a instant contributor just like his former teammate was Justin Jefferson. Um, I I really like him to the to the Lions at seven, losing Kyle. Um, Kenny Galladay and being able to replace that with Jamar Chase is to me an upgrade um, and that's not to slice uh, Kenny Galladay at all but when you consider health uh, age and different factors um, the team gets better when Jamar Chase steps on that roster um, which for Jared Goff I, we'll, we'll see what that looks like outside of Sean McVay in in this new experiment if, if that's where they choose to go but Jamar Chase yeah like you said uh, whenever I watch him run routes, I just think of a basketball player, the way his feet move and the way he tries to uh, break coverages and different things. Um, just really impressive for me. Uh, Jamar Chase, contested catchability, a lot of back shoulder balls, um, and just out physical to everybody that he came across that included people who were drafted in the NFL, even as first round picks. And um yeah, I, I think Jamar Chase is very talented. Um, but if we look at Devonta Smith, I think Devonta Smith does a little bit 
diff, go, goes about the receiver position very differently. And that's when it comes down to these flavors and, and, and what uh, kind of wide receiver you prefer in different situations where Jamar Chase will come up and jam you jam the DB off the line to then go go run a route. Devonta Smith just won't let you touch him. And I don't know how he does it. Don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think I can explain it. Um, my best recommendation is go watch his highlight or Heisman highlight tape where he's uh, just running past people and, and winning a Heisman trophy as a wide receiver. Um, but yeah, incredible. The t- top four, the NFL is in very good hands. The seven on seven high school college uh, environment is really starting to come out. When you look at this year's draft, last year's draft with CD lamb, Her- uh, Henry Ruggs, uh, Justin Jefferson and that crew. And then when you look at next year's draft with the two Ohio state guys, Garrett Wilson, uh, the kid from Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave who returned back to school and then at Georgia with George Pickens and then uh, David Bell at Purdue and Chris Ottman Bell at Minnesota, you know, that's just largely one conference and we're not even out of receivers that have a real chance of going in that same tier as these guys. Yeah. You know, it's funny is I know people have already kind of said like, Oh, next year's wide receiver class might not be as good, but you're still going to have players. Like you're still going to have, Hey, you have guys who develop. So, so there's guys who might come out like we didn't know Jamar Chase two, three, like in 2018. Like we didn't know he was going to be Jamar Chase of 2019. And there's always guys who develop. There's there's not a lot of Jamar Chase explosions in in one year and then an opt out. So I I, I hold him to a very special like (laughs) category. But um, Devontae Smith, even Devontae Smith, right, who was a contributor at Alabama for three seasons, um, catching national championship. Uh, winning our SEC championship, winning uh, drives and and whatnot um, to then win a Heisman. Yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to see how this next tier progresses. And I'm really excited. But these top four guys, wherever they're situated, I think they're above a scheme fit, um, which is why I group them together as opposed to the next group of three and then further down my list. It's because these top four guys will go on whatever team that they're on and they're going to produce on week one they'll all be contributors. That's the perfect way to put it. These guys, those four are, could be any team, any scheme, anywhere. And if you're, by the way, if your coach couldn't figure out how to use these four guys, there's a problem with the coach, not a problem with the player. Like that's how good these four guys are. I agree with you there. Uh, The scheme diversity is perfect. And their ability to line up pretty much, even if like you're worried about maybe Jalen Waddle. I, you know what? No, I, I'm sorry, because even Jalen Waddle, again, is such an electric player. Like, yes, did they get a lot of reps of him on the outside? Because this year, you know, he didn't play as many games because of the injury. You still, like, I mean, you you could see it. You could see what the, the issue is going to be for other teams trying to, say, jam him at the line of scrimmage when he's got that level of speed. And, again, you can kind of cover him up. You don't have to play him at split end. There's two other wide receiver positions, usually in an offense, so you're not necessarily having to worry about that all that much anyway. Yeah, um, and if you get Jalen Jalen Waddle moving pre-snap in, in some motion, good <laughs> things are going to happen. Really, really good things are going to happen. Whether you get the ball to him within five yards of the line of scrimmage or over 25 yards down the field, uh, Jalen Waddle. I, I, I just I just hope that he goes anywhere but Las Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Please don't do that again. Although, like. I mean, Derek Carr can't ruin two really fast wide receivers, can he? Hopefully, if they were put together in this theoretical world where two fast guys can line up next to each other, I hope that that system works. 
that would be my hypothesis, but I don't really know. I, think how the, I would be intrigued to see that. I would be very intrigued to see a team with both Henry Ruggs and Jalen Waddle. I just would maybe want it to be a team not run by John Gruden. So that might be the caveat there is I don't know if I want John Gruden running that team, but like a guy who could really take the top off and a guy who can clear, like you would basically have one guy clear, taking the top off and one guy clearing the bottom out. You you couldn't cover both of those guys. Um, Let's jump now to outside of these top seven because we spent so much time on the top seven, these first rounders, and most of the draft is not built just on first rounders alone. Um, granted, some of these guys might fall to the second round. Um, who's next on your list? O- outside of Diami and Marshall and Elijah Moore. Yeah. Um, I got a couple other guys later on that I'll, I'll throw in uh, at different spots, but who's next on your, your spot list? Yeah. For me, that next guy on the list is somebody who also opted out in 2020 and one that I am very familiar with from watching in college. Uh, Not that I'm a Michigan fan, but watching his teammate who's now on the Browns, Donovan Peoples-Jones, the the wide receiver I'm referring to is is Nico Collins. Mm -hmm. I think he's an an incredible physical specimen, a large body uh, like Terrence Marshall, um, who's not quite as fast, but um, suffered because of the offensive system that he was surrounded by. Uh, One of the reasons why Donovan Peoples-Jones fell to the pick that he did last year in that draft is because Shea Patterson was was quarterback for the Michigan Wolverines and that that didn't really work out and was a hindrance to their development and ability to produce. So Nico Collins, I think um, he came to the senior bowl and bullied people. He caught the ball really well. Um, I think for as much of an X wide receiver or a big body wide receiver that wins in contested catches, he has the ability to, to win over the top with speed. Um, I, I don't think that was a, ever able to be utilized or seen on film because the quarterback situation was so poor. But, you know, I, I like it, like the idea of putting him in Green Bay um, with Aaron Rodgers or uh, – Cleveland is another favorite spot for him. I, I'm really hoping that the Browns can connect with him and reconnect him with Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, big guys who run really fast uh, really interest me uh, for this situation. <laughs> Why would that be? That sounds so ridiculous. Big guys who can run fast, maybe they can catch. Yes, that sounds like a posi- It sounds like something you'd want. I, in the I think that's a good situation to to be in. Um, it's a good starting point. But, yeah. Um, I, I tend to be a fan of the small guys who can run fast and catch, but there's a lot of those and they don't always pan out. Um, there's a couple though, I think in this draft that could work out. I think there's going to be a lot of those in this draft, actually. Like there's the, you know, Dwayne Eskridge, Jalen Darden. We already talked a bit about Elijah Moore. There's also Ron Dale Moore. Um, yeah. cause of the Moore twins, they're just super fast and electric. Um, but Ron Dale Moore measured in at five, seven, as did Jalen Darden. Dwayne Eskridge is like 25 years old almost. He's 24, but he's going to be 25, I think, by the end of next season. So you're talking about, again, older prospect. That kind of worries you a bit. But uh, any of those guys interest you, of the of the, the speedy guys, the yeah. short guys? Um, the if, the if munchkins I'm, of the world. Yeah. If, I, if I'm looking at that, that little crew there, um, literally and figuratively, uh, Rondell Moore um, is the one that interests me the most. Um, I'm not a, a huge Rondell Moore um, supporter. I know that there are a lot of people who who like him as a round one pick or a top of round two. I, I think that's a bit rich in my opinion, um, just to not because of his injury history or his production that's being so artificially created at Purdue because he was just doing his team's job at what they were asking him to do. So I commend him for that. But, 
but um, just the physical profile at five foot seven, um, if we're talking about analytics and the integration and how that works in football, there's very few people period in NFL history that have made that profile work. I do believe that Rondell Moore, if given the right situation, can see a little bit of running back and wide receiver and that flexibility to do, do it all at any time. Um, I have vivid flashbacks to when he single-handedly beat Ohio State in 2018 to spoil that, to spoil that season for the Buckeyes, um, just running laps around Sean Wade in, in coverage. Um, as he was running routes and just being stronger and faster than everybody else on the field when there were Chase Young and all these other NFL players on the field. Um, he was the best player on the field that day, and that was as a true freshman. Um, so I, I hold that very special um, in my mind when I, when I talk about Rondell Moore. Um, I think one of his places that he can be most successful is filling in uh, in Carolina for Curtis Samuel, who moved on to the Washington football team. If you're able to give him to Joe Brady, newly acquired Sam Darnold, uh, that wide receiver crew with Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, uh, uh, and Rondell Moore to fit in that slot as a running back in just theoretically imagine a situation where Sam Darnold's in the shotgun and on his right is Christian McCaffrey and on his left is Rondell Moore. I don't care who your linebackers are or who your defensive backs are that are covering them. Those are two of the most unguardable football players in, in, in the league uh, at the start of next season. No, I agree. I like that a lot, especially because, like you're saying before, Curtis Samuel ran a lot of routes out the slot. That would probably be where Rondell Moore is kind of running if he's not running out of the backfield. I think that's a perfect situation for him. You can get him on the move a bit. Um, the fact that he's 5'7 is kind of worrisome. The fact that his best production hasn't come since 2018. Um, the injury history, I think all those things kind of to play into that. I I agree. I don't think he's a first-rounder. Um, I wouldn't even take him in the top 50 at this point because of those things, because he's probably more of a gadget guy. You're probably looking at him for either like, listen, can we just get him on deep routes? Can we get, he's a lot more limited of a player. Whereas maybe again, like we're talking before about, you know, you're looking 10 picks back or around back. You might get a version of that player later on down the line. For instance, Jalen Darden out of North Texas didn't play a high level of competition. He, I, his lateral movement is is really good. Like, if there's a guy who, like, he doesn't have the long speed of Jalen Waddle, but he has that hip fluidity of Jalen Waddle, where he can just move side to side and and totally juke out a guy. Kind of reminds me of a shorter Deontay Johnson when he came out, where it's it's not necessarily that he's got the long speed, but he could probably stack you really well. He did play on the outside down there. Now he's not going to be playing on the outside in the NFL. Um, but. You know, again, if you're looking for maybe a guy who's going to be a gadget receiver for you, who you're going to be getting, you know, 10 to 15 touches a game out of like, hey, we're going to get him in the slot. We'll get him out of the backfield. We'll have him as a returner. Um, maybe we can play him at flanker if we're really trying to to push our luck. But, uh, again, I think that, you know, maybe we'll get him on a crossing route again. But if you're 5'7", depends on the player who's throwing you the crossing route. I don't know if I want Baker Mayfield throwing a crossing route to a five-seven receiver. I don't think that does you very well because you're now you have a six-foot quarterback throwing over six-four alignment to now throw to a seven-foot, you know, not, not seven-foot, a six-five-foot-seven wide receiver. So there's teams that are going to be limited in that in what they could utilize him for. Um, the one guy who I mentioned before, Dwayne Eskridge, I actually kind of liked his tape. Like again, I, old dude. Um, I say old dude. Like he's going to be retiring in a few years from the NFL anyway. 
But he is older, and that does make a big difference. But he lined up on the outside a lot. He actually dealt with like a lot of press man, and not just like press man, like, oh, we're going to stand next to you and say hello, and like, you could hear our breath. But like, happen. yes, there's a lot of that in college where they're playing press man, but really what they're doing is they're standing next to you being like, how are you doing today? Can I take your order? I'm going to be working at Applebee's later. And then, like, then Dwayne Eskridge will run by you. No, no, like, he, they're actually trying to jam him. Like, CMU actually tries to teach their cornerbacks to, you know, jam. And, like, again, like, not – listen, not that CMU is going to have the best corners in the world. But, again, they're at least trying to teach the technique, and you're seeing him try to get around it. So you're seeing him try to, like – and then he, another guy who went to the Senior Bowl, who had a really good week at the Senior Bowl, um, I still think he's third-round pick for me because of the age issue, because of, you know, the, the late, you know – Late rise in his production. This, you know, he's five nine. He's not the tallest receiver. Does have some legit speed. Like Jalen Darden, I think came in at like four four four, which is not what you expect. But again, like before, I'm saying like he's more lateral movement. He's long speed, and they utilize him in a lot of different ways. So I, I kind of liked Eskridge in that kind of uh, if you're looking for an outside guy, and also guy who's maybe a few inches taller. If you're looking for a taller guy, who's probably going to go earlier than he probably should. Uh, Anthony Schwartz, Auburn guy. Uh, if, if we're talking about age, he's one of the youngest players in this draft. Yes. Uh, as as if we're talking about Dwayne Eskridge and then talking about Anthony Schwartz as guys who can run really fast and, and uh, would benefit from certain offenses over another. Yeah, Anthony Schwartz um, will just be turning 21 like two months after the draft, which to, to me is, is miraculous to think about because very rarely do you see in draft covers like the 2-0 number for prospects that are ready to go to the NFL or ready to produce. That's one of the reasons why I think Penny Sewell is so special is he'll, he'll be 20 years old um, throughout the first couple of months of the NFL um, and when he starts to play. And, you know, one of the reasons why the, the Browns picked Jedrick Wills over some of the other guys at that time was a little bit <laughs> of that age concern where – Jed was a little bit younger than the rest of the crew, and so they gave him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I that that was a whole. I loved I loved Jed Drickwell's tape coming out too. He was like he it was so. I actually had him as my number one tackle last year, and I know people. Well, I I know some people had Andrew Thomas ahead of him. I know some people had Tristan Worse ahead of him. Um, the th- and listen, I know Tristan Worse did really well this year. I think if Jedrick Wills was playing right tackle this year from the get go, he would have had as good of a year as as Tristan worse. The fact that he switched sides, I think changed a lot for him. And he still was a great pass blocker this year. Um, I think he was actually still a pretty solid run blocker. I think the penalties are really what killed him. I, that, that was, and listen, you're getting used to the NFL. You're getting used to a new side. Um, and again, that that just that whole offensive line was brilliant this year. We will always bounce back to the Browns because it's a cornerstone of my heart, if you will. Um, and your heart too. That's why you're on the show. Cause I was like, that guy's a Browns fan. Get him on here. Um, so, uh, yes, the age thing's a big deal. So yes, with Anthony Schwartz, you're talking about losing four years off the age and then also gaining three inches in height, which I think everybody would buy three inches on any receiver. And he has, I think even more speed than Dwayne Eskridge, a lot less on tape as far as dealing with oddly enough press man, because again, playing at Auburn, you would think you would at least deal with that a little bit more. But, I, I, you know, they ran him out of the slot a bit. They weren't afraid to run him outside. It wasn't like an Elijah Moore thing where you didn't see him a lot on the outside. They still would line him up outside, but a lot of the times it was in the situations where it was like, oh, this team's not playing press man in this this look. So I liked Anthony Schwartz. I think, again, that's another guy who it's like that third round, fourth round range he's going to probably go in. And, 
a guy who I wouldn't mind if you take that shot on him because of the speed and the developmental aptitude because he runs such a, you know, runs really well, has a really high, uh, you know, had a good 40. But again, like, you could see the speed on tape. It wasn't a guy who ran fast and then just didn't do it on tape. And it's not like you're spending the pick on John Ross at, you know, pick nine. You're probably spending pick, like, 69, 90, you know, 100. Um, Any other wide receivers you want to talk about? Yeah, I'll close it out. Uh, I'll give you two names of of not players, but teams that I think for those two guys that you were just sharing a little about, bit about uh, Eskridge. I think if he ended up on the Giants, if they chose not to go at Waddle, um, I think Dave Gettleman uh, is not beyond picking a 24-year-old rookie wide receiver. And uh, with that, I, I do believe that he would be a well fit in New York if they're looking to add speed to complement that offense um, in the third round out of, out of a slot receiver. So I, I like that idea. Um, and then for the for Schwartz, if, if we can just keep Schwartz away from Kansas City, that's a good deal for the NFL. Yes. Uh, just, just can't give um, Andy Reid any more speed or a faster version of McCall Hardman who can catch a little bit better. Uh, we don't no no football fan, competitive football fan of a team wants to wants to be dealing with that when they play the Chiefs. Uh, do uh, on any given week. Um, no, you can't have McCole Hardman, Tyreek Hill, and Anthony Schwartz. That's too much speed. With, with, with Travis Kelsey to to fool around underneath, no, uh, we don't we don't need to see that. It, it it works. It'll work in Madden. I promise you, it'll work in real life. Somebody else needs to step in and make sure that doesn't happen. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah, uh, but for me, one guy way down way down my board, but much higher than consensus, um, is a player from Arkansas State, Jonathan Adams. Uh, C- Junior, um, really, really big fan of his. I think uh, when he when he ran, he didn't run the fastest forty. He was a bottom four or five guy, um, but jumped forty one inches in his vertical. And for a guy at six foot four to be doing that um, and get so much production as an ex basketball player of uh, catches above the rim or high pointing balls, um, even against Big Twelve defenses when Arkansas State got that matchup. Uh, just an incredible player. Um, I don't necessarily think the the fit is perfect with the Browns um, in their position of need, but if he can end up on a team like the Washington football team where they're looking for an ex receiver who's a devastating blocker, there's one clip where he blocks four people in one play on a, on a sweep that goes to the left where he takes the cornerback, knocks over the free safety, picks up a linebacker, knocks over a defensive lineman. In, in succession, I, I've, not, I've not seen a better clip other than maybe Jalen Waddell at and his Missouri tape. Um, but just a uh, really big fan of his. I hope he gets a, a, a good fit because I think he can be very successful in the NFL. Sick. I, I can I like that idea. Um, have you, uh, guys who we haven't touched on with who, who I think have been talked about a lot. Um, Amari Rogers, uh, Kadarius, Tony, uh, shy Smith, who I think he was another guy who had a little bit of a good senior bowl moment early on. um, Desmond Fitzpatrick, Marcus Stevenson. Uh, let's see if anybody else. Any of those names? Oh, and then obviously Monroe St. Brown. Any of those names kind of excite you? Tittle, you know, tittle your fancies. Uh, I I get really interested by a player like uh, Amari Rogers or mm-hmm. his teammate Cornell Powell. I think both of them stepped out last year. Um, and did a little bit differently than what they had shown on tape before. I think Amari Rogers projects a little bit um, better to the NFL just because of his speed um, is a little bit better um, and his refinement as a receiver in the slot. 
Um, his dad is currently the wide receivers coach for the Baltimore Ravens as he was at Tennessee once upon a time working um, as a coach. But I think that's, that's an interesting dynamic for a family, but also in a, in a bloodline perspective, but for Amari um, working with Trevor Lawrence, I think he can find a niche in, niche in the NFL where he'll be, he'll be successful in his own right. I don't think it's reuniting with Lawrence and Jacksonville. If that happens is they have Lavishka Chenault, some other wide receivers that can really do that role the same way. Um, and I don't really have one that comes to, to mind with that group, but also Marquez Stevenson, he's a little bit older, um, not as old as Eskridge, but uh, played well at the senior bowl, uh, an offensive weapon at Houston. I, I really like, like him and his game. Yeah, with Rodgers, I, I think the thing that Rodgers showed really good with was the, uh, the, the he's tough to tackle, he had really good hands, really good short area quickness. Like, those things play well in the NFL. He's like, almost kind of like a running back in that – like, if you were looking for, say, like a a, a cheaper version of uh, Jarvis Landry, like, or – A more even, athletic version. I mean, I don't know how uh, – I guess uh, – I, I don't even know necessarily more athletic because he wasn't like – I, I just think like like the younger version of Jarvis even like because like Jarvis back early stage Jarvis had a lot more juice run after catch and also part of it comes down to usage, um like back when he was playing for the Miami Dolphins he was just taking stuff from like that that five five yards within the line of scrimmage and just taking it ten fifteen yards at one point I think he was the he had the most yards after catch in the NFL. At, and that was beating out any running back. And it was him, Odell, and then, like, six running backs. So, weird that both those guys are on the Browns, and then I don't think – now they're on a team that doesn't do a lot of short routes for their wide receivers, at least not in that general way. Um, as far as it goes with uh, Amari Rogers, though, I – also, the guy who just retired today, Julian Edelman. Like, that's kind of what I sometimes saw with him, was just that if you got him to be in an offense where you're running a lot of option routes – and you can get him to do that. It, not something that they did at Clemson, but something that, like, if he picked that up, he went to a team like the Patriots that ran that kind of an offense. I think that would be kind of an interesting maneuver of, like, that would that would utilize the skill set so well. Um, Kadarius Tony is one that gets mentioned a lot, and I don't think either of us have really mentioned anything about him. My issue with Kadarius Tony is he reminds me of Andy Isabella, the guy who got drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, went late second round, um is kind of a slot slash gadget guy, but doesn't do a particular thing that like you can see like projecting necessarily. Like he's like I not not projecting. Like he's gonna get a lot of run after catch if you utilize him correctly. But his route running is a little erratic. He does like the little head bob thing a little too much sometimes. Um but yeah, I, I, and he he's a he's a new player to the wide receiver room. Um came to Florida as a quarterback and so he's he's learning as he goes but if, if we were talking about how Jalen Waddle and Elijah Moore stood out on tape when you were watching them, uh, Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts did that at Florida. Yes. Um, they were both very exciting players that had Kyle Trask at quarterback, um, <laughs> which was an interesting situation. But uh, that NFL talent couldn't be denied. They were both very productive in, in their roles. Um, I, I don't think that Tony is um, – like the four first wide receivers that we talked about is above um, a scheme fit or a situation where he'll be able to outproduce um, or produce in any situation. So that's why I don't really rank him within that same tier. But uh, if, if we could handpick a, a place for him to go um, 
with a with a caveat rule that's created um <laughs> yeah he, he'll be a stud but um just well, just have some hesitations as the draft proceeds about um buyer beware beware a little bit for him yeah because like the, he was they utilize him a lot on like kind of gadget plays and getting him on motion and i i think the ability of what you could i honestly Kansas City and other I think any first off any player is going to do well in Kansas City but specifically a team that likes to use a lot of the gadget plays like Kansas City I think that would be a team that would fit him very well um teams that like to utilize a lot of motion that have a three wide receiver set involved maybe not even three wide receiver set because like if you're talking about some like a team like the Browns my worry with uh Kadarius Tony's not um necessarily like it's landing spot but it's more along the lines of how high is the landing spot like if he's going first round that's way too high because you're you're putting up way too high expectations um but there's part of like the curtis samuel element to his game where it's kind of like that like a he could develop in that role of, of learning how to be an outside receiver but also would probably be more productive in the slot uh and on those kind of motion uh, pre-snap motion movements, so getting him freed up. Um, and, and as we're talking about wide receivers, there is one more name that I want to bring up more mm-hmm. so than the rest. And a lot of the similar role that we were talking about um, of guys that I have kind of in that same tier as Rondell Moore, Kadarius Tony. This one is actually situated right between the two, um, Rondell Moore being the higher-ranked one. Uh, Amir Smith-Marset from Iowa is a really, really, really fun player, has tremendous amounts of experience on special teams. So I, I, I do like him a little bit more because of that um, as a returner, um, electric returner, very fast. Um, his 40 time wasn't as impressive as what you saw on film. So I don't know really what that is about or what, like where his background is for the speed. Um, but like I, I shared a little bit about Nico Collins, about the quarterback situation. His time at Iowa, Smith-Marset, that is, mm-hmm. uh, didn't really have the best quarterback play. But if we're looking at guys who can play not the X receiver, but that Z receiver, the F receiver, moving around, um, getting yards after catch, created touches, he's a he's a bigger guy um, that I necessarily would, would choose over the other two um, in, in different situations and schemes. Uh, I, I really like him if, if the Browns want to look uh, wide receiver um, at the beginning of round four at pick 110. He's uh, one of my favorites there. Nice. Um, last guy I wanted to talk about, I think. Let me just make sure. Um, at least as far as my list goes. And if you have any other guys you want to throw in, let me know. Um, Amonra St. Brown, who I you know like got a little bit of hype before the season. Um this season was okay, but I think some of his gameplay from, again, another guy who 2019 looked a bit better. And I think maybe it's because the competition was a little bit better. I, the, the Notre Dame game kind of popped out to me a little bit. Um, he kind of reminds me of Juju Smith-Schuster and J.J. Orsega-Whiteside a little bit in that mold where I think Orsega-Whiteside or Ortega-Whiteside, which sounds like I have a list, but that's just how you're supposed to pronounce his name, apparently, um, because it's spelt with a C. Um, but that... Uh, is I think he'd probably be a better, like, utilized as a big slot player. Um, now, technically, I'm on St. Brown's not necessarily big as a big slot, but he plays big. And he's a guy who, if you get him on those free releases, uh, shows very smooth route running ability, um, can get downfield quick, 
and it's pretty good on the contested catch uh, portion of it. I think the Eagles might be a team that would that would value him now that they got rid of uh, Alshon Jeffrey. Although, granted, I, I mentioned Ortega Whiteside, and then I'm going ahead and going, yeah, go ahead and get Armand Ross St. Brown because that worked out so well for you the first time. Um, uh, even even before you continue on, I'm working on a mock draft right now, which is some of my ideas for different fits and stuff. Um, I have the Eagles not looking at wide receiver um, at the top of the draft, just taking value at where they can get um, because they have some talent they have voids of talent across their roster. And so um, it came down to Amon St. Brown as a wide receiver available on day or round three for them. Um, and I really like that fit. Uh, Tylen Wallace just won a couple of picks before, which was unfortunate for them. But uh, yeah, I, I do like that fit in Philly, the ability to float inside and outside. He was much more productive in the slot as a slot re- receiver. Um, now uh, I don't think it's the all perfect fit because Jalen Rager would have, hopefully be able to rotate and, and be a piece that they can move together in, in that offense. But uh, if it it's a need for them, gives them more talent to the wide receiver room that they're desperately uh, searching for. Another team I could think of is maybe a team that runs the, uh, the, the McVay system or the, the old McVay system. So basically the Bengals, which, you know, if, if the Bengals want some free advice, it sounds like they've had some issues over the years. So, like, well, look, Browns fans will give you some help. We're, we're right. totally fine on you guys getting better. W- listen, you guys play the Steelers and the Ravens twice a year. You should win a couple of games. In fact, yo, I remember that that Bengals-Steelers game. Uh, and I, I was kind of rooting for the Bengals in that game because it was way more fun. I, th- I think the Bengals won that game, if I can remember correctly. Yes, they did uh, with with Finley. With at, back, yeah, yeah. With backup <laughs> quarterback. That – that just says something to you right there when Ryan Finley's your quarterback. By the way, he's not their quarterback anymore. He's gone. He's now, I think, on the Texans. So, but yeah, when Ryan Finley's your quarterback and he's winning you games against the Steelers, which had this, like, weird, ridiculous defense, and then all of a sudden it's like they fell apart. Everything about the Steelers fell apart at the end of the year. We could just we could probably spend a good hour talking about how much the Steelers fell apart. Um, yeah. But if they didn't have 16 guys of all the same, like, size and build and shape, I think that's the problem is like that. I think he's a faster version of those kind of style players. Like I think he's a faster Tyler Boyd. Like that's kind of how I can see him. Now the only thing is you already have Tyler Boyd there. So that's not going to help you. You also have T Higgins who a little bit different, but again, still kind of like you need a different kind of element to that roster. Um, but maybe like Joe Brady would like that kind of a, a player because again that especially because they don't really have a tight end they're probably going to be running a lot more three and four wide receiver sets yep. um going spread a little bit you know because that was actually something even Joe Brady did going especially because you have Christian McCaffrey and Mike Davis you know my you know, McCaffrey didn't play much last year but because what they had at, uh, with LSU with Clyde Edwards-Alaire then Joe Brady going to Carolina having McCaffrey and Mike Davis I could see them utilizing like another big slot receiver like that, especially if they're not going to go wide receiver early. You know, if they take you know Sewell or uh, Slater in the top ten, or even trade back and get one of the offensive linemen. If they're going to attack offensive line early, I could see them taking like a guy like that, who you know you have uh, you have DJ Moore who's already on the outside. You have Robbie Anderson who's taking the top off of defenses. I think I'm on or St. Brown. I've talked myself into it. Carolina, go do it already. Um, not night of the draft, not now. Um, any last thoughts, any wide receivers that you have on your, your list? I, I know I'd mentioned Shy Smith before, but I don't, I, I don't really have much. He was a senior bowl guy, kind of 
Um, I think he's going to be mostly a slot player, and you know, the next level kind of going to be like that day three kind of pickup. But outside of him, any other guys that you have on your list? No, but I I just have some closing remarks. I think uh, anyone in the top four, you can't make a wrong choice with. Um, this is all true. Be productive players for your team. If you're looking for explosive playmakers, big and small, they come across this class. I think this class offers a lot of different uh, pieces for any offense. Um, I think it does favor more uh, gadget players than outside dominant um, skill players. So I do expect that uh, Terrence Marshall and Nico Collins, uh, a Tylen Wallace type player will be gone far before I, I believe their perceived value in my mind is um, just by that need and, and need across the league for those spots. Um, but if you're looking down the draft board for those slot players, whether that be Cornell Powell, Tutu Atwell, Shai Smith, um, uh, different players like that, those players will, will be for me where the value is in that class. One of the reasons why if I was uh, Andrew Barry or could ever talk to Andrew Barry, the one of the questions that I would ask him is that if you could get one of those top receivers at the top of your draft, you're well situated to then pick whatever wide receiver you want later on day, later on day three, whether that be Anthony Schwartz um, or Tutu Atwell. I know that they have been linked to him, um, even though he's, he's not the biggest uh, and you could see that every time you watch him, but uh, yeah, I think he didn't he measure in like 155 or something. Yep. That that's tiny. That's like that's gonna be a hard time. You're a gadget player at that point. I honestly thought he was mostly gonna be in that mid round range anyway. Um I know there were talks about him being a top fifty player. I thought that was a little rich. There's always talks about guys being top fifty players or first round. There's like sixty first round players every year. Yeah. That, that the best part about that is that um, come draft night, there'll be articles out there about a hundred different players that are going to get drafted in the first round. Um, <laughs> but it, unfortunately for them, um, but fortunately for football fans, there's only 32 players that can go that night. Um, and somebody's bound to get value the rest. Um, something that I'm really looking forward to is, you know, those, those Belichick, those, uh, different moments where these general managers go out to fill their needs, um, and overdraft these positions, um, which gives success to these players that are being drafted, but um, allows some of that top tier talent to tumble down the boards um, and really surprise you by the day, uh, by the end of day one and going into day two and three. And again, we just talked about like, if we miss somebody on somebody's list, I'm sorry, wide receiver is the deepest position. Like I think, I think it is the deepest position and at least offensively in the NFL. And it's the position that gets drafted the most. So there's definitely players we're going to forget, or we might've only touched upon for a second. Um, but if you want, you could follow this guy on Twitter. Uh, go ahead, drop your, uh, your, your Twitter to Marcus Harvey. Yeah. Marcus Harvey underscore M A R C U S H A R V E Y underscore. Uh, follow me on Twitter for anything Browns. Um, but even more so football um, and other NFL draft coverage. And thanks again for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Love this discussion about all the wide receivers. It's an exhausting discussion, and the Browns is an exhausting. So two exhausting discussions. Just Well, I, well worth my time. I just, uh, always just, love to talk about football and learn something new. I'm just beating you up here. But, th yes, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if you want, you guys can follow the podcast at DraftVice on Twitter, at DraftVice underscore football on Instagram. You can follow me at B-R-O-J-O. -O. Death is in the end of life. Punch like a delicious drink you drink in the summer. And uh, follow, subscribe. These are going to be – there's this one's uh, – there's going to be episodes all this week. 
and next week, all leading up to the draft now, finally. I know I've been very slow on getting these out. Now these are going to be coming out fire. Um, thank you for coming on again, and uh, everybody have a nice day. When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Marcus Harvey. Thank you for coming on. You can follow the podcast at DraftVice on Twitter, at DraftVice underscore football on Instagram. You can follow me at B-R-O-J-O. Death is in the end of the laugh. Punch for the delicious drink you drink in the summer. Our next episode will be Edge Rushers, folks. And that might just be an exclusive me, but don't worry. We'll have more We'll have more guests on, some in-studio guests again, finally. Um, and then, yes, tune back in for the next episode, which should be dropping tomorrow-ish time, a Thursday, I guess this would be, so go ahead, check it out. Have a good day, folks. When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. I'm about to pass, I'm about to be.